Well, I remember it vividly. It was about 35 years ago. That's quite a long time. <laughs> but it was my first big walk. It was only a mile and a half. But it was billed as a big walk. Terry will know it well. It was before the Conway Tunnel was opened. Uh, and as a family, we thought it'd be a great thing to do is we had this walk through the Conway Tunnel before the cars drove through. Perhaps you were there too, Terry. I don't know. Oh, you didn't. Ah, okay. Um, so there I was, a uh, young lad. Uh, and it was quite exciting at first. Uh, you know, you set, up on a, set off on a big challenge. Uh, but after 10 minutes, of course, the novelty wears off. You, wears off. You, you're in a tunnel and there's not much to look at. But the chocolate orange comes out, so we go again. Then you get a little bit tired. But then there's sweets, boredom, a bit of singing. I remember we stopped because someone managed to turn their ankle uh, coming off the curb onto the road in the tunnel. When will this end? There's the light at the end of the tunnel, exhilaration, and then finish. A mile and a half later. Now, uh, I know that many of you have done big walks. Challenges, uh, walks for charity, and the walk as you can remember it has all the ups and downs till we get to the end and that moment if you're able to finish when the exhilaration kicks in. Do you remember what John is talking about in his second letter to John? We've spent two weeks in two John. Now we come to John's third letter. 3 John. Here's the author John. He's written the gospel about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And now he writes three letters. One John we looked at a few years ago. Um, So all the best if you just come to town church. That was a long time ago. Two John we looked at the last two weeks. And here's 3 John. And we know that John is not obsessed with walking, but he talks about walking. Why does he talk about walking? Because walking in the Bible encapsulates the whole of somebody's behaviour. It's deliberate. It's intentional. Walking involves the whole of a person. So John is desperate for the people that he's writing to, the churches that he's writing to, to walk in love and walk in truth. And they go hand in hand. We've looked at that the last couple of weeks. And so as I think of that walk in the Conway Tunnel, and as you think of your walk that you've done perhaps recently uh, or uh, a few years ago, the idea is, is that I'm meant to picture that walk and think, that's just like life. It's a deliberate action. It's intentional. It involves the whole of the person. You move from one place to another. It's just like life. And just like that walk, can't life seem a trudge at times? Other times, can't it be like a a wander through the meadows? Can't life at times almost come to a standstill, a grinding halt? Of course, John isn't talking just about life, he's talking about the Christian life. So think now about your Christian life, your Christian walk. He's called us to walk in the truth, but isn't it at times it feels like a trudge? Times it can be exhilarating, like a mountain path. And perhaps there are people in the room who haven't even started walking the Christian walk. 
John is really calculated, he's careful. He gets the people he's writing to. We see that in 3 John especially, there are specific people that he mentioned. But his big picture piece is that we continue moving. We continue trusting in Jesus. Let's pick it up in 3 John. Look, he starts the elder. Well, here it is, John. It's himself. Instead of writing his name at the end of a letter, which we would do usually, he starts off, and they used to, in those days, of course, start off by saying, it's me, John, the elder. I'm writing this letter. Who does he write to? He writes to Gaius, and he's a dear friend. Look, he, he loves him in the truth. Gaius, a church leader, we don't know which Gaius it is. There are a number of Gaiuses that are mentioned in the New Testament, especially in Acts. We don't know. Gaius was a very, very common name. Uh, so John could have said uh, Dave. He's writing to Dave. Or, or, or Oliver, I should say, because Oliver's uh, apparently uh, the top baby name at the moment. Um, someone probably will correct me as well that it's... Uh, it's been updated in 2022, but in 2021, Oliver uh, was the name. So it could have been Oliver, it could have been Dave, but here's Gaius. Obviously, John knows who it is, but, but we don't. We don't, and there's no point speculating from, from Acts. Here's Gaius, and John writes to him. He's a dear, dear friend. In fact, he's so dear that John mentions that phrase, dear friend, four times in this little book. He's a dear, dear friend. And John shows great affection for him there's genuine desire for his dear friend to be well did you see that in verse two dear friend i pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you are progressing spiritually quite odd quite strange you see that that john isn't just he's not just concerned with the way that Gaius is walking in truth, there's joined up thinking. He's really concerned that his friend is well, physically well. Matter matters to John as it does to God. We see that uh, through the Bible. It's not just a case of John being concerned for the soul of Gaius, but it's the whole being. I'm interested. I want to know uh, how you're getting on, how you're feeling. You see what John says uh, as we progress through. Verse 3, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You see what walking in the truth looks like. Faithfulness to the truth. Steadfastness. Continuing to move forward. But Gaius is one of those Christians that not only believes... But the truth affects the way he lives. It's like when John says, look, I care about you physically as well as how you're doing spiritually, walking in the truth. Uh, Then look how Gaius is living his life. He's not just saying that he trusts and and that be something in his head, but he's living it out. It can be seen. 
It's our first point, Gaius, walking in the truth. And that's marked out by outward investment. Great joy, Gaius, that you're walking in the truth. Gives me great joy. I have no greater joy, says John, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's worth stopping for a moment, isn't it? And and asking ourselves, what is that truth? I know a lot of us in here would go, of course, I get the truth. I get what the truth is. Uh, We hear it every week at Town Church. The good news of Jesus is the truth. But it's worth reminding ourselves exactly what that truth is. And John is saying to, to Gaius, look, you know that Jesus has dealt with the consequences of your sin, Gaius. Gaius, you're forgiven. Gaius, you're, you're now free. And as the spirit of Jesus lives in you, he helps you, enables you to walk. Gaius, you know that this isn't some existential feeling or expressive individualism. It's truth. It's objective truth. It's truth that exists outside of you, Gaius. It's not because you exist, you define what the truth is. No, Gaius. Here's the truth. It's objective. It's abstract. It's out there. It's not of you, Gaius. But it's affected you. The truth has changed you. God has died for the sins of his people. Those who put their trust in him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Gaius is walking in the truth. And he's faithful in the truth. He'll keep reminding himself of the truth. Walking in the truth, knowing the truth, but Gaius is doing more. Look, he shows deliberate intentional movement, verse 5. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Here's Gaius, and he's been marked out as not only knowing the truth, but the truth affecting him so his behaviour changes. Look, he cares for the brothers and sisters. In verse 5, those that went out for the sake of the name, that's the name of Jesus, to speak of Jesus. And John's commending guys, you looked after them. As we sent out people, uh, supposedly from Jerusalem in those early days, just as Jesus was living and he died and resurrected and ascended, then we sent out people to speak of him. And look, Gaius, how you've looked after those individuals. You've cared for them. No one else did. No one else would. But Gaius, you have. That's what it looks like to take the truth and to let the truth change you and your behaviour. Remember what we said, he holds the truth in love. This is John. And he also loved in truth. Wonderful combination of the truth and how it affects our actions through love. It's worth us stopping for a moment and thinking how we apply that to ourselves. We can look at how we're doing in the truth by assessing 
how our behaviour is towards each other, especially in the church, of course. How are you getting on with the people at town church? How are you caring for them? In what tangible ways can people see you caring for others? It's a good question to keep asking ourselves. Not just thinking the truth and trusting in the truth, but letting the truth change our behaviour. Change the way that we talk to each other and love each other and care for each other. It's a really pertinent question. Perhaps there's a further direct application. How do we treat full-time Christian workers in this church? That's what John is saying to Gaius. You took those that were taking the word of Jesus and you, you took them in. You cared for them. You gave them hospitality. How do we treat those that are full-time Christian workers? You know what I mean by that phrase. Those that pay to take God's word out to other people. Well, there's two dangers, maybe. Perhaps we're in danger of putting them on a pedestal and we lavish gifts on them. Uh, This is what's happened in history. And we think that they should get the best. It's why bishops used to live in castles and palaces. Many parish priests get the same. There's a danger that we lavish our attention on them and put them on a pedestal. That's one danger. Or, Or there's another danger that we can... View them as parasites, sucking money and energy from others. Get a proper job, we might say. And you see, John says, please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. Gaius, you've looked after them. The pagans aren't going to look after them, of course, but Gaius, you in the church, you've looked after them. So here's a big question for us at Town Church. I think that is direct application. How are we looking after those who are in full-time Christian work? John Ventress, first week in. Here he is. Take a look at John. Well, I mean, you don't have to look at the screen to see John. Or it might not appear on the screen anyway. There's John. (laughs) First week. Wycliffe translators, we know, we've been talking about this, we're supporting John and Raquel and family as a church. How are we viewing John? How are we looking after him? There's Jazz, hey Jazz, just in case, wave a hand. There's Jazz, full-time intern at Christians in Sport. Have you had a round for food yet? Coffee, even? Are you praying for her? And we know that there are a load of Christians and sport guys here at Town Church. Rosie, Catherine, Rachel, Gledus, Johnny, Cy, Lanks. Got a high proportion of full-time Christian workers. How do we view them? Oh, don't put them on a pedestal. Please don't. But please don't view them as parasites either. Do you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to take the word of God or, or helping the word of God go out administratively. The gospel is going out and they're taking it to people all over the world who don't know Jesus. What John is saying, that Gaius is a brilliant example of taking the truth, letting the truth affect him so his behaviour is marked out in love and love for those uh, who have been sent to take the word 
of Jesus. There's Gaius. He's walking in the truth, marked by outward investment in others. And then we come to Diotrephes. Look at Diotrephes in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. It looks like Diotrephes is a leader with much influence. It doesn't look as though the issue is around truth. That is often an issue with church leaders, but this is about behaviour. There's no denial of the truth, but we're not seeing the truth lived out in love. In fact, we're seeing the opposite. What John says about him, verse 9, he loves to be first. He's self-obsessed. It looks like he's about building up his own empire. Verse 10, he'll stop at nothing To spread malicious rumours. He doesn't welcome those who are taking the word of God out. He hates it perhaps when others are doing well. Envious character. When he sees others. Who perhaps are gifted in ways that he's not. Could this happen to us at Town Church? Oh for sure. Self-centeredness, self-obsession, self-ambition. Do you know those three things all destroy Christian witness and outreach? I think in recent years, some horrible things have happened in the church as we know it. The Ravi Zacharias saga has destroyed Christian witness and outreach. It's been leadership issues in the crowded house church movement. There's been leadership failures in conservative wings of the church and in youth camps. Self-centeredness, self-obsession, self-ambition. They all destroy Christian witness and outreach. So it's worth us asking when we come to a passage like this, how are we doing at town church? How as a a congregation, as a group, how are are we speaking of others? Where are we in danger of gossip, malicious rumours? Where do we, when listening in a conversation, throw a, a negative comment in when someone is speaking so positively of an individual? Where would you come in and just try and knock that individual down a peg or two? I'm convicted here as I've read this passage, this book. I come in negatively about people because do you know what? Sometimes I'm jealous of others. I don't want others to speak so highly of them because actually I quite like them to speak highly of me. Where are we in danger of being similar to Diotrephes? How do we stay focused? Look in verse 11 
John picks it up. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And then we meet the last individual, Demetrius. He's well spoken of by everyone. And even by the truth itself, we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. How do we protect ourselves from a diotrophies? Do not imitate what is evil. Do good. Walk in the truth. Love is a sign that, that God is at work in you. And this is not moralism or virtue setting. We know we're saved by grace. We, we know it's not what we do that earns any, any right that God would accept us. We, we know that. If you don't know that, please get that today. The Christian is no better a person than someone who's not. The Christian is someone who says, I'm rotten to the core. And I need saving. So my trust is in Jesus Christ. So John is he's writing to, to Gaius and, and he's making the example of Demetrius as those that trust. And their trust in the truth now shapes the way they live. Not that they live in a way that's accepted by God. No, they love because the truth has affected them so much. The truth of the good news of Jesus, is it gripping your thinking, changing your motivations, enabling you to look out of yourself? See, doing what is evil, being self-absorbed, selfish ambition, can be a sign that you do not have new life. Demetrius is the top example. Copy him. Don't try and be different. Copy him. Do you know it's a good thing to have people in life that you really look up to? Not to put on a pedestal, but to look up to. Here's John, and he says, Demetrius. To write to you about Demetrius because he's got it right. Don't try and be different Follow godly examples of others. And that's quite hard to find value in that in today's culture when, when everyone's encouraged to be their own person. It's a little bit boring, isn't it? To copy others, to be like them. But throughout the New Testament, we, we get great encouragement to follow others. Watch them, be like them, copy them. Walk in truth, walk in love. Look at Demetrius. This is what he's doing. Oh, of course, Demetrius is not perfect, but imitate him. I wonder who's the Christian that you look up to. Not as the perfect example, because we know that that's the Lord Jesus. But as someone that you look at and think, I'd love to copy their ways. Where they take the truth and... Turn it into love for others. Because they do some really good things. Danger is we become like Diotrephes and we're jealous of them. It would be great at Town Church to watch people in action. The Demetrius is of this church. Who are they? Watch them. Copy them. Don't try and be different. Don't try and put your stamp on the way that you're living a Christian life. 
copy these individuals, imitate them. And this is where John then finishes his third letter. Sounds familiar to two, John, doesn't it? I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. We finish where we started, John. Deep love for individuals. Desperate that those who he writes to know the truth, but don't just know the truth, walk in the truth. Progressively move forward in the truth. Not running too far ahead, do you remember that? Last week, but holding to the truth and moving in the truth in case they get to a standstill and stop and forget and even walk away from the truth. But the truth is marked out by the way we behave. Truth in love. Truth in love. Lived out in love. And you see, the only way of doing that is that I'll walk with you and you'll walk with me. That's why we call this mini-series, You'll Never Walk Alone. Of course, I'm in danger of walking alone if I walk away from the truth. But you see what John is saying, I need people to imitate, to watch, to walk with, to encourage me, to grab me. When my attention is drawn elsewhere, to catch me, if I'm tempted to stop. Trusting to walk away from the faith, to walk away from the church. It's why I need you. It's why we need others to keep walking in truth. Remember we played the video, You'll Never Walk Alone. And we saw ordinary people. Ordinary people. But singing around a deliberate moving forward in the midst of despair and adversity. We saw people in unity and community walking together. Rather it be a picture of a football club, Liverpool football club, you'll never walk alone. Here's the idea for us. Here's the best display of never walking alone. It's in the church as we walk together. Going to finish with a poem. It's the first time I've ever said those words in a sermon. But I've written several poems in my life. No, no I'm only kidding. <laughs> um, here's the book. Some of you will remember this book. We read it as a church maybe three years ago. Uh, and all the truths of the gospel are, are written uh, in forms that come out of God's word. So all with the verses of the Bible. But in the end, he puts it in poetry. And the poem is brilliant, but I'm going to read just the, the last five verses. As we walk in truth, we'll walk and our behaviour will be in love. Walk in truth, walk in love. Here's the poem. So now God relates to me only with grace. The former wrath banished without any trace... And each day I'm made a bit more as I should, his grace using all things to render me good. Yes, even in trials, God's grace abounds too and does me the good he assigns it to do. And when I am sinning, God's grace does abound, ensuring my justified status is sound. 
No wrath is awakened in God at my sin because Christ appeased it to say so again. God's heart pulses only with passionate grace which jealously wants me back in his embrace. God does not require, even that I confess, before he desires his forgiveness to press. Forgiveness has been in his heart all along and when I approach him, To make right my wrong. He runs up to greet me. And draws to me near. Embracing and kissing and ready to clear. God does see my sins. And he grieves at them so. For when I am sinning. His love I don't know. He even will send me some heart rending pain. So I'll learn new ways and his holiness gain. His disciplines always are with love imbued, a love that seeks ever my ultimate good. Last verse. So this is my story. Ongoing it is. How shall I thank God for this gospel of his? A gift that keeps giving, the gospel confers, the bounty of heaven each time I rehearse. Deserve it? I don't. On my holiest day. But this is salvation. And herein I'll stay. Walking in truth. Walking in love. We walk together. We walk together. Until we walk home. Until we get home. And then there'll be no more walking. Because we'll be at rest. Forever. What a glorious day. We're going to sing together, not, but, not I, but through Christ in me. We know that this walk, we're not able to walk alone, but we're not able to walk in and of ourselves with our own strength, with our own power. For sure we're not. It's Christ in me that's able to make me take that next step as I walk in truth, as I walk in love. Let's stand and sing together with these wonderful truths.